This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. Stay up on the real culture of Detroit by tuning in to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network weekly. Music, art, business, comedy, and never-before-told stories from the people of Detroit. Peace, y'all. My name is Jamal Bufford, uh, hip-hop artist, uh, youth worker from Ann Arbor, Michigan, part of the collective called the Black Opera. Good to be back. Kari Frazier, uh, as you all see, like this podcast stuff is connected to what I do with Detroit is Different. Um, Detroit is Different is what I do often when it comes to a lot of the community work, but hip hop is still my background. It's what's uh, giving me the premise to do a lot of different things. So this is going to be a cool discussion. Hey, what up, though? I'm Sterling Toes, uh, lifelong Detroiter, East Sider. Um, create music stuff, create uh, sonic uh, visual stuff. And uh, yeah, work a lot in the community with a lot of different organizations and people. And uh, yeah, I'm a dot connector. Yeah. So to get started, I would like to ask both of you um, your recollection of the Detroit hip hop origins. Um, could be the first song you heard that you knew or found out was a Detroit artist. Could be your first event you went to, uh, first person you met that you knew rapped. Um, you could tie in your history and just the history uh, in a you know, quick summarized version of the, the beginnings of Detroit hip hop. Whoever would like to start it off. <laughs> Sterling, me, I guess I'm a little bit older, so yeah. Um, so yeah, so Detroit. Uh, in terms of, I would say like the earliest uh, sightings of like rap and music in Detroit was, I would say that was like significant. Probably was uh, this group by the name of Felix and Jarvis. And they were kind of like doing these like electro records like in the, the, the very early 80s. Um, it was a lot of people kind of like uh, post-disco like experimenting with rapping and songs and kind of like Sugar Hill Gang came out of that and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Tino Marie rapping the Square Biz and, and Blondie. And so there were a few records. And so they were like more like dance, dance records. First real record that I remember hearing and being impacted by was... Uh, by a group called Prince Vincent and the Hip Hop Force. They had a song called Gangsta Funk and it had the same uh, knee, deep, knee deep sample that uh, De La Soul used in uh, Me, Myself, and I, but he actually used it first. And uh, this was like 1988. And that same year was also the first album that uh, Detroit hip hop album that ever came out, full album, was by Easy B and DJ Los. And it was put out by uh, World One Records who uh, was led by a guy named Carlos uh, Butch Small, who uh, was a longtime musician, played with Parliament Funkadelic, and he also played on uh, a lot of the, the uh, uh, Death Row stuff. And that was the label that he started. So 1988 was the first one. It was very like a LL kind of influence, LL Cool J influence at that time. Uh, the first song I remember like that was on the radio where I knew it was a Detroit artist was actually a female artist. It was Smiley. It was like, but I ain't friendly was the song. And it was a pretty big song, like especially when it came to 
being at like a skating rink and everything. I'm a kid, that song's playing. And then the first major artist I remember being big was another female artist, a boss. And everybody was like, boss is from the D. And she had like this song deeper, like uh, we talking about Def Jam. She was being produced by DJ Quick. All of this may sound like um, Chinese to you guys, but it was huge when we were when we were younger just making that connection and also we would watch a lot of videos on the box it was a, a service where you could call in and it would play videos so some of those videos my cousin would work on with the hip-hop artist dice and detroit's most wanted so you remember seeing these guys where it was like, I'd say like Detroit's first gangster rappers. And then you also had Chaos and Maestro, like the conscious rappers. Uh, when Nelson Mandela was released from, from prison, uh, yeah. I don't even want to say it was prison because it was so yeah, backwards yeah, yeah. and back, yeah. you know. Yeah. But he came to America. And on that tour through America, one of the big uh, welcoming was in the city of Detroit. During that city of Detroit welcoming, Coleman Young, who was the mayor of the city of Detroit at the time, was like, we're gonna throw the grandest event for Nelson Mandela at Tiger Stadium, which now is torn down and they're putting like condos there or something. But uh, Tiger Stadium was big and in his welcome, the two MCs that were up there were Chaos and Maestro. So it was one of those things where I knew they were rapping, but when I saw them on that stage, it changed the whole idea of what I thought rappers could do. Because it's rappers basically opening for Nelson Mandela, which is a different way of thinking about what rap and hip hop was. Because when I was younger, and I guess all three of us, being a rapper isn't kind of like what it is today. It was like being a rapper was looked at way more as being kind of, I guess, how people look at spoken word artists. It was like its own little niche culture. Uh, very few people were really into it. It didn't really seem like something you could make a career. The scene itself was very boutique. So you had to go to different types of places to connect to it. And all of this being on a stage with Nelson Mandela made me think like, damn, this is huge. And these are some Detroit MCs. They know my cousin. I've been in the same presence of these rappers battling one another. And that was big. That was big. Thank you. Thank you. So my experience is a little different being from Ann Arbor growing up here, um, kind of missing out on a lot of the historical stuff that I'm sure they're going to touch on, um, hip-hop shopping, et cetera. So I was about 17, 16 or 17, going to high school here, and um, I – Re just around that time started hearing about um, these artists like, you know, I heard about Detroit Most Wanted and people would play it for me, but it wasn't like, I, w I didn't have the pride of a, you know, somebody from Detroit because I'm not from Detroit. So it wasn't like I wasn't championing it. It was good music, but it wasn't like, yeah, this is my stuff. Um, it probably wasn't until I started hearing about Slum Village and D12 and Eminem and those guys in like the mid 90s, around 95, 96, until I started to, to be like, oh, okay, so somebody's currently bubbling from that area. And then around 97, I remember they started coming to Ann Arbor to do shows. Um, they started coming to Ann Arbor to the Heidelberg, which is still in existence. Some of y'all might go there now currently. Um, they'd still do shows there, but I, they used to come to the Heidelberg. 
a little bit to the Blind Pig back in that day. Blind Pig really wasn't messing with rap like that. Um, really until like me and the guys I came up with started doing shows there till they started re being more receptive to rap. It was really just a rock venue. But uh, occasionally they would go by the Blind Pig, but mostly it was either a U of M show like on campus here or it was at the Heidelberg. Um, and I actually remember, um, I really haven't told anybody this story, but at the time D12, um, anybody familiar with D12? It's like Eminem's crew. Um, at the time, Eminem wasn't really a part of D12. It was another member named Bugs, uh, rest in peace, uh, who was murdered. And so I had heard about these cats. I didn't go to the show. I was young. I was 17 or 18 at the time. But I did go to the let out. Everybody familiar going to the let out. Like, you can't go to the event or don't want to go to the event, but you just go to, to the let out when everybody leave it. So I went to the let out. I'm standing outside. Everybody's rapping, ciphering. I'm just chilling. This is like the beginning of my kind of letting people know that I rap. So I, I'm just I'm looking in on a cipher. I'm just watching, and I'm I'm seeing these cats like killing it, killing it. I'm peeking in, and the, this dude points me out and just starts battling me. So I I didn't let nobody know I rap. Nobody knew. I'm just this kid like, oh, this is cool. And then I had on a striped shirt and some Nikes. He was like, I'll rip you from your stripes to your Nikes. And I was just like, oh, my God, what did I, <laughs> what did I do to you? And so I jumped in. I started going. It was okay. It wasn't like I destroyed him or nothing. But I don't think anybody knew that I would actually reply to him. But later found out that that was Bugs. So I actually ended up battling Bugs before I even knew who Bugs was. I found out about him. And literally not too much longer after that, he was actually murdered uh, on Belle Isle in Detroit. Um, so that was kind of like my introduction to Detroit rap. Before that, it was actually, wasn't a Detroit artist, it was actually a Flint artist. It was actually the first time I heard somebody who I knew was from Michigan that I felt like, okay, I can do this. And that was MC Breed, rest in peace, uh, who's from Flint. But when I heard Ain't No Future In Your Front and, and found out he was from Michigan, I was like, oh, wow, I can actually do this. Like, you can be from Michigan and be a rapper. So that was definitely very influential for me. Uh, but yeah, I just moving on, if y'all could like kind of talk about um, if there was any like seminal places of gathering that you uh, went to or heard about or knew about where people in the hip hop community in Detroit would kind of congregate, come together and uh, do their thing. All right, I I'll take this one. Like we'll go back and forth um, because I'm younger. Sterling got me by a couple by a couple of days on earth. A couple so of days. A couple of days, yeah, no. <laughs> a lot of days. So, um, <laughs> but it still was very boutique. And I would even say to this to this day, the Underground Hip Hop Awards that my homie Uncle P is working on, uh, it's still boutique. Like, to this day, like the venues and people welcoming hip hop because hip hop comes with a stigma of violence. It comes with a stigma of, uh, People not spending a lot of money in the venue because a lot of these nightlife venues have alcohol and you'll do a rap show and it'll be 500 people and like five beers will be bought, you know, because people are really just coming for the music itself. So when I think about the hip hop venues that first really became a thing, it was post hip hop shop era and it was it ushers me right to the Lush Lounge and I was actually in the Lush Lounge, and uh, I remember uh, I met my man Lou. He would do these mixtapes, and when he found out I rapped, and he worked at a, uh, like, this is like so old school, okay. <laughs> Lou worked at a clothing store inside Fairlane Mall, 
inside that clothing store in Fairlane Mall, this was a point in time when, like, uh, I don't know, you guys probably, like, older brothers, and maybe your parents, but, like, uh, they would sell, like, Iceberg. They would sell, like, uh, different guests hookups and different shirts and he would do customized t-shirts and he would also sell mixtapes and he was one of the first mixtape people that I knew that made mixtapes himself when he found out I rapped he was like if you submit a song I could get you on a mixtape I was like god damn this is amazing you're making my life bro so I submitted a song it was whack as hell that didn't make the mixtape I submitted another song it was whack as hell that didn't make the mixtape after like five iterations I finally got to the mixtape and he was like okay now you need to start performing the best place you can perform is this place that me and my crew is running and we gonna start it up it's right in Hamtramck and anybody that's familiar with Detroit raise your hand if you're from Detroit Okay, y'all need to throw y'all hands up higher. Y'all acting like y'all from the uh, penitentiary or something. But it, knowing that you're from Detroit, you know, Hamtramck is not a place that's frequented, especially back then, if you're really from Detroit. So he was like, yo, it's this spot in Hamtramck. It's real dope, and we're going to do some hip-hop shit there. If you come by, I can probably get you down where you can just freestyle. I'm going to give you this card. I'm sure Buff had one of these. And it was a member's card to go to Lush Lounge. And that member's card was like really just a way, in our mind, it was like, damn, you down with something. As I look back in marketing world, like it was a way really just to uh, draw in retention. You know what I'm saying? Because now you feel like I'm one of the few people with a Lush Lounge member's card. So we would go to Lush Lounge to perform, and people would always talk about and romanticize the hip-hop shop at that time as we were at Lush Lounge. And then after the run of Lush Lounge shut down, People will romanticize that. So it's like you were in the scene. You really didn't know. It was a lot of crazy shit that happened. Like uh, one of the nights that uh, Proof got arrested, uh, Royce 5'9 came up there, hostile battled him for no reason. Like it was a lot of like things that stood out. Uh, Hex jumping, Hex murder from uh, Almighty Dreadnoughts, uh, prayers up that he gets healed and everything would like, you know, push people off the stage. It was a niche scene within itself. But along with that, which was more like, I think, like underground MCing, you also had just the straight up open mic street spots, like the C-Note Lounge on the east side on Van Dyke. The C-Note Lounge, uh, Kilo Parker held that down for forever. So most people, when they think about Detroit hip hop, this was one of those places where just consistently in the heart of the east side, where generally they playing like old blues records and old hustle records one day a week on Monday, you would have this hip hop open mic where MCs would come and that was a way like you connect to a lot of the street dudes. And then it was like, let's see, what other spots? Sometimes Alvin's at the time would do a show every now and again. Uh, some of the biggest shows I remember there would be like produced by Mark Kemp. I don't know how many of you all are familiar with like Mark Kemp, but he was a place. Silent Records. Yeah, Silent Records. He distributed a lot of uh, a lot of music uh, from a lot of artists. So sometimes he would do different events. Um, the Blind Pig, back when it was in Detroit, kind of like on East Point, there would be some shows there. It would be very uh, kind of loose and sort of put together. And the mecca of all venues and sort of kind of to this day that hip-hop artists in Detroit always loved was St. Andrews. St. Andrews was sort of the holy grail of Detroit hip-hop. If you could get to the shelter, which is the basement stage, that was big. If you actually made it to the main stage, at that point, you know, you, you were in the mix of Detroit hip-hop. But those are the places I really remember a lot of the hip-hop taking places. But even more so than that, 
ciphering on the spot all the time. When I was, I'm guessing most of you guys are like 18, 19, 20. So 18, 19, 20, I was down for a cipher anywhere, everywhere, all the time, trying to battle every day. I felt if I didn't write three rhymes a day and battle one person, then it's somebody that's in my competition bag that's getting better than me as an MC. That was where my mind was. So anytime I saw hip hop, I was going to be drawn to it. Real quick, you can you can end it, Sterling. Um, to chime in on the Lush Lounge, so my, my crew, Athletic Mike League, at the time, um, like I said, we missed out on a lot of the legendary spots, but when we were eight, old enough to drive from Ann Arbor to Detroit, Lush was popping, so that's where we would go. And that was like the first time we actually rapped in Detroit. And we were seven deep, we had heard all the stories, about, you know, people... People getting jumped off stage. Yep, getting their head mm -hmm. knocked off. So we was like, we gonna roll seven deep. Something happened, we, we ready. Um, they had, we had to let them know we was from Ann Arbor. And that's kind of how we started to gain respect in Detroit, was going to Lush. Um, not even rapping every time, just going, hanging out, meeting people, but saying what's up. I remember some of their first hookups down there. Like, you remember, it's like a crew of people would come in, and this is how it happened. You sign a list all seven MCs, and then they keep getting pushed back. Yeah. And they keep getting pushed back. Meaning that you stay from basically 9.30 to 2 o'clock in the morning thinking that, damn, I just want 60 seconds to rap. And you don't rap one week, two weeks, three weeks, we had to four weeks, back. five weeks, six weeks. This is what I guess some people would say maybe paying dues. And you're like, damn, dude, I know I was the first person to sign the list. Yeah. This is what paying dudes was back then. But eventually, one would get in. And then he like, that's my homeboy. That's my homeboy. That's my homeboy. And then the next year, they could walk in at 11 o'clock. And if you think that you was about to rap, <laughs> got another thing coming. Yeah. Yeah. What was the question again, dog? <laughs> spots. Hip-hop spots. Yeah. Hip-hop spots that you right, remember. So, so I'll break it down like this for y'all. So, so I'm a little bit older. So, so I'm 42. So these guys a little bit younger. So I look at Detroit hip hop in like eras. So there's this first era that kind of we kind of talked about. I would say that was really from like 88 to like about 91 or so. From like 91 to like the mid late 90s, I was like the second era. I kind of came in in the second era and they kind of came in in that third era. So it's so there was a little transition between the first era and the second second era. So after a lot of these groups put out uh, stuff in the first era, so that was like, again, like Detroit's Most Wanted, Chaos of Maestro, Smiley, AWOL, Detroit's Most Wanted. Awesome um, Dre. Awesome Dre, um, Easy B and DJ Los. Uh, it, was, it was very influenced by, I think, uh, Detroit's relationship to, to techno has always been very close. It was very techno influenced. It was faster than a lot of stuff, which is funny because the Detroit stuff today, hopefully we can get into, is, is faster than a lot of stuff. Also, we've always kind of been like about moving and partying. So it w people weren't ready for it. So that first movement kind of dissolved. And then that second movement, it was what came out of that was like uh, Eminem, Slum Village, uh, D12, Royce the Five Nine. Um, well, he's closer to the third, but somewhere kind of in between. But um, it was also a group called the Inner Sea. So at this time, we had a few different spots that we went to a lot, and I was like, so the hip-hop shop was definitely like ground zero for like people sharpening their skills. 
and then it was uh fifteen fifteen lounge, thirteen fifteen lounge, place called two forty six Madison. Um and so like all these places where we oh was the shelter of course. And the thing about it was for a minute nobody had physical product. So now it's like everybody, you know, SoundCloud and shit and people put stuff on the internet and everybody can hear it. But I think one thing that created mu community in the Detroit hip hop scene was the fact that pre internet if you were into underground hip-hop, which a lot of people in Detroit weren't, you had to actually physically go to a space to hear it, right? So it's like you came every week to get something that you're not going to get on the radio, you're not going to get watching television or nothing else, and us seeing each other all the time created community. And so by this time in the mid-'90s when we go to these spots, uh, nobody really had physical product. It was like a lot of people rapping and 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 freestyling and stuff, open mics, but it took a second for people to have physical products. One of the first groups to have physical product was actually a group called the Inner Sea. One of my favorite moments in hip hop, in Detroit hip hop, was going to an Inner Sea show at uh, 1515. And so at this time, 1315. So at this time, uh, Jay Dilla was producing tracks for them. I don't know how many of y'all know who Jay Dilla is, but Jay Dilla, uh, yeah, back we'll, talk about, it. we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. talk about it. We'll talk about it. So they were the first ones to have tapes, and this was like revolutionary, like the fact that they had physical copies, like tapes that we actually could go home and listen to, because really, think about this. Nobody had physical copies. You only would hear the songs when you go there. One of the craziest things was uh, Slum Village performed these songs that they had, too, for a while that they didn't have physical copies of. And if you hear Fantastic Volume 1, the first tape that they put out in 97, there's an interlude where you actually hear everybody in the crowd saying every lyric of the song. Now, you may think that's not that much. They're just saying every lyric. Imagine people knowing every word to the song, and nobody had a physical copy of the song. It's just from hearing this live that everybody knew the words. And so Dennis C. was the first guys to put it out physical product. We go to their show. They're supposed to be opening for Wu-Tang. This is 1993. This, Enter the 36 Chambers just came out. And so they're doing like a little tour. Now everybody knows who Wu-Tang is now, but at this point, Wu-Tang was just, this is the beginning. Nobody knew who they were really. But we came to see the NFC more than we came to see <laughs> Wu-Tang. And so, for whatever reason, they didn't have the money that they wanted in the back and they never came out. And the NSC came on stage, and they rocked it so hard that nobody cared that Wu-Tang came out. And it was the first moment where it felt like we had something real. Because it was like, here are these guys from New York that we all admired coming to our city, but we had some guys that were from here that rocked it so much. It's like, man, we really don't need it. We good, you know? And that changed it. Like To me, like that was the beginning of that second wave. Because at this point, too, and I, and I, I am real briefly, but at this point, too, nobody thought anybody was going to make it. Like, you know, like kind of going back. It's not like now where it's like, I'm going to be a rapper. I'm going to get a facial tattoo, and I'm going <laughs> to dye my hair <laughs> orange and shit. <laughs> Talk about Takashi. And I'm going to go viral next week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? One of rap then was like, it was like saying, you know, I want to join the circus. You know yeah, it, it really, it like, really was. It really so was. 
nobody thought anybody would make it. And I remember when, when, when Jay Dilla actually got with a tribe called Quest, and it was like murmurs around that that was happening. Everybody's like, no, that can't be. No, no, like that doesn't happen to us. So we were doing it for ourselves. So if you listen to all the Detroit stuff, they rapped about two things. Who was the best MC and girls? Because then was the only perks of doing it. It was getting girls, the girls that would come. And very, very. Very few. Very. <laughs> I would even say to that today, underground hip hop, if a woman's in there, she's probably like somebody's girlfriend. <laughs> I would I would just go and, 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 as far as and, and understandably so due to the misogyny. But it, yeah. I completely understand, <laughs> my brother, because a but, lot of the subject matter. Yeah. But that was all guys did it for is the, who was the best. Mm hmm. And, you know, like somebody may like think you cool, you know, and that was yeah. it, you know, but it, it was an innocence to it also that made it beautiful because of that. And it, it made it so where like I swear to this day, like everybody that has been involved in any one of those eras, like we look at each other like family. I, I want to point out a couple of different MCs as I'm thinking about. I don't know if any of you all have seen the documentary that's on Amazon. You all seen the Untold Story of Detroit Hip Hop. Anybody watch that? Like right now it's on Amazon. It was done by Champ Town, another MC from Detroit that's uh, done some things. But like a couple other people we should highlight along this era when we think about Detroit hip hop and, you know, people we've met and come across too. B-Def, you know, uh, definitely. Poncho. Poncho, definitely. Poncho is DJ that, that died too. Yeah. B-Def and Poncho. Yep. yep. So yeah. that, I, you know, and then also Esham as when Esham. we think about yeah. like, worldwide success, independent uh, music, and producing your own, like the path he chose. Now, because of his subject matter, I think he missed out on a lot of black audiences, per se, but Esham, we were well aware of, you know, Esham records, because as you say, yeah. like physical copies, you uh, would go in a cool. record store and see like, damn near like a whole section. And Esham sold millions of records, like millions of records independently and the thing is he had yeah. a he had a business model that was unprecedented and guys like tech nine and, and other people follow ICP, it to ICP. icp to this day mm -hmm. and that's he said okay these big artists got all the, the major cities and major outlets but what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna go to every backwood small town city yeah. and, and set up shop there and so he had his fan base was like people that were like living Iowa in the City. middle of, I, yeah, like, um, like yeah, I'm gonna go to North Dakota and just post yep, up and like meet yep. some people and do a show. Yeah, and straight up like hood ass dude from Detroit's East Side, getting a van full of cassette tapes, and doing shows in South Dakota, Idaho, Montana. Like this is real. And when I say, and I mean, he would sell out of those. And if you ever meet him, like just his mentality and his crew, like the way he moved, his brother, it's it's very it, it's a it's humbling just to even think of like, damn, you were thinking about doing that? You know what I'm saying? Like even to this day, like a black dude from Detroit's West Side, I don't even know, like just driving blindly to Montana, looking to set up a show, set up that show, and then sit outside and actually move product. That's and to know too that like people in small towns that have nothing to do think of crazy shit, right? <laughs> like when you got nothing but time on your hands, your imagination can go to some very crazy places. And somehow he knew that 
mm-hmm. and would rap about the craziest stuff that they can relate to because it's like, you know, like, get me out of this time with one stoplight, and he's rapping about, like, crazy, like, yeah, devil worshiping. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say if you if you have some free time, you yeah, if you have some free time, check out Esham, Uh just to say that you did. Check check out his his magnum opus. It's entitled "Kill the Fetus." <laughs> it's pretty intense, but it's it's brilliant too. But at the same time, he was very much Detroit, though. You know, oh, straight East Side, straight East Side. So we gonna. We actually kind of touched on this uh, in the previous conversation, but I wanted to ask you, too, about the the sound of Detroit. Is there anything about it, um, any particular artist who kind of helped shape the sound of Detroit? Is there something about Detroit's sound that kind of stands out from New York, Chicago, L.A., Atlanta, wherever around the country or the world? Are we going to get into, like, the... Right now, or should we um, do it right now? Now, or yeah, do do both, <laughs> do both. You can, you because I think I think they all are kind of like on the shoulders of one another. But yeah, continue. okay, I say this. So, how many of y'all are um, familiar with Parliament Funkadelic? All right, so Parliament Funkadelic is to me like pivotal, and and I think it informed all of the music that happened in Detroit post-Motown in some kind of way, right? So it's funky. It's the funk. It's the funk using technology. And that was the foundation for everything in a lot of ways. A certain pocket that kind of makes you kind of like, <laughs> right? And so the sound of Detroit in a lot of ways, whether it's, it's funny, whether you talk about uh, the underground stuff, quote unquote, the, the, the underground hip hop, boom bap stuff, you talk about, a lot of people think first about Dilla, right? Um, Dilla is a person that is well-versed in music. One thing about uh, producers that have been sample-based, especially back then, you, you, you begin to know records really well. And so there's a lot of music from soul to funk to everything like infused in his music. But one thing that was very characteristic about his music was the fact that he didn't quantize a lot of things. So in, in music production, there's this feature called quantization. What quantization does is, is it puts the instruments that you play on time. So if I'm playing the, a beat machine and I'm hitting a pass, one, may, one of those hits may be a little bit off, right? So if I quantize it, it puts it exactly on time. But one thing it does is sometimes it makes the music sound really stiff because it's too approximate. And so he realized, him and, 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 and G, listening to those James Brown records, is that, um, I think it's in Clyde Stubblefield to, to, to play drums James for Brown. James Brown. Like, it, it would almost be like sometimes the snare catch faster than it's supposed to catch. It kind of makes your neck snap, right? So instead of like, doom, doom, cat, doom, doom, cat, it's like, doom, cat, doom, cat, doom, like, and, and so it, it has like a bounce, bounce to it because it's not on time. It's like you're taking liberties with time to make a movement that's a little bit more, you know, ferocious than just if it was on time and you like this, right? So his lack of quantization has is, is done that. And I think a lot of people think about that. In terms of the streets, which is a whole nother side, we can get into like the whole str- the street sound of the city and what has come to this day. And I, I feel like the, the street sound started kind of with 
two groups, uh, the Street Lords, Eastside Cheddar Boys. I, I would like, actually go back mm-hmm. to me, to me, and this is what's so funny, and this is the tie of, like, rest in peace proof. I actually think the street sound that's modern started with Goon Squad, and then it took off. But I would yeah. argue that, cause, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, but I, I feel you, but, like, yeah. But, right, right, right. But I, I also feel like, too, Goon Squad kind of leaned more towards I mean, they the made dancing. booty music, yeah, too. They made beauty right. music. But, but the songs street, that yeah. wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It was, was dope. Gangster, you right, know what right, I'm saying? Right, 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 right. Booty but music, I, for those that don't know, yeah, also yeah, called ghetto point. tech. It's like. That really fast music, almost kind of like Miami bass music back in the day. But Jail it was, and uh, we, yeah. Jail and we. It's like really Jail fast. DJ assault, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, yeah, yeah. we're not gonna get it. There's yeah. a whole culture in Detroit, jitting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a dance, still re- very relevant yeah. to this day. But you would jit to the music, yeah, yeah. use your footwork. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Goon Squad kind of yeah, wrapped res- on that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they kind of like play both sides of that that fence a little bit. But I, but I but I mean like in terms of like. The sound and the basis. And the impact, like impact, oh, okay, like okay. The, 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 where like every street dude was like listening to it. It was, definitely was, was the street lords. Street lords. Even and though me being from right, the west side, right. I would say rock bottom. But rock that's bottom, my yeah. neighborhood. And rock but, bottom too. Know. Yeah, like rock bottom was, was was very important also. But like one thing that happened, so, okay, so uh, somehow, some way, we don't know, somehow they had the, the uh, financial means uh, to hire uh, professional rappers um, to to perform on their records, right? <laughs> well, what so he's talking about is like, okay, <laughs> the, the Street Lords uh, Platinum Plus album had a lot of like Bay Area artists, yeah, and in a field. So like, we're talking Blade Icewood as um, rest in peace, Blade. Rest like, peace. and then this is this is another thing as we say, rest in peace. Uh, uh, you know, and this kind of sometimes keeps us from doing shows and stuff like that, but. Violence plays a role, I would say, in the culture of scarcity, period. So it doesn't matter where you are. But because hip-hop is like right aligned with, the, with young people's perspectives of what can happen in life, uh, I would go as far as to say uh, it probably, you know, every year you're looking at someone being murdered, if not multiple people being murdered from the scene, street rap, or hip hop because it's like where, where, where we're at and where it's coming from. Now, with that being said, you still are um, super exposed to like the ideas of what you think fame is, what you should pursue in life. So when the Street Lords first album came out, as you say, part of getting the more, more famous acts on the album was to be like, all right, I'm gonna welcome you onto the album and do exactly what Mozzie Ski and Detroit's Most Wanted did, meaning that I'm going to open up for Eazy-E, but I'll have more champagne backstage. I'm going to have more women backstage with me. I'm going to have on more jewelry. I'm going to have more money flowing around because along with the violence, street life itself, meaning like money from, you know, it may be from drugs. It may be from illegitimate uh, real estate deals. It may be from God knows what, uh, SSI deals or something. Like it plays a role. Right, but, but back a lot to, of the music. Right, right, know? but b- back to the like the the uh, the sonic part of it. Yeah. Um. So, the thing was okay. So like we had the underground scenes kind of like in between that first era, and like 2000, the underground scene was very tight knit, and that underground scene was uh, underground scene was a lot more influenced by like East Coast sensibilities, uh, Dilla and them included. But 
there's a whole nother side to where like there wasn't really from the city a bunch of things that sound like the soundtrack of the streets for people. So pre Street Lords and Cheddar Boys, a lot of them was like listening to a lot of West Coast stuff, right? And pri primarily the, the Bay, which the Bay, they whole thing was funk. Now the funk was made here, right? And so much of the funk that they sampled was from like what came out of like Parliament Funkadelic and influencing all these Ohio groups. And so like we listened to those West Coast guys kind of until Street Lords Cheddar Boys got involved and then they put the people on the records that they were listening to, right? It's interesting because to this day, now you have a whole new generation of kids in Detroit that grew up on the Street Lords and the Cheddar Boys that now are very much popping in the Bay. Like I was talking to some homies from the Bay and they like, man, the kids out here, all they listen to is Detroit stuff, right? But it's interesting because the Bay kids are not listening to all this Detroit stuff, and the Detroit kids grew up listening to, they daddies and uncles listened to the stuff that came from the Bay, which was them rapping over the stuff that was made here <laughs> by like those funk guys. So it's just kind of amazing how like it's, it's kind of come full circle, you know? So I would say funk and movement has always been like a part of the vibe. It's Any yeah. of the Detroit sound, yeah. yeah. And again, you kind of touched on the 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 next topic we kind of want to cover is is influence, um, the role that Detroit has played in influ influencing other artists around the country. Um, you kind of touched on Dilla starting to work with Tribe Called Quest, what that did for their sound. Uh, Dilla working with Common, um, but now even even today, uh, cats like Sada and T Grizzly and artists hearing that type of music and being influenced by it and starting to make the this, this stuff that sounds like what they're doing. So can you talk about the, the influence that Detroit has had on other musicians around the world? I think it's immense. And often, if you get into any of the people that play on records or anything, it's more than likely going to be a Detroiter there. And some people think I'm saying this because it's a chip on my shoulder. It's like, no, you know these people. So as Death Row was coming together with what Dr. Dre was doing, even to this day, Dr. Dre exclusively generally uses nothing but artists from Detroit as musicians. So the musicians Dr. Dre is using, they're from Detroit. You know, uh, that feel across the world, especially when it comes to like that ear of sound, really even since Motown, has a lot of Detroiters always in the mix because Detroiters have like kind of like had these ties of coming up with things and it's just been a known thing that like, yo, a Detroiter can make something really dope. They can make something really fu funky. Um, even with um, even with Sean Combs or, or Diddy or Puffy, uh, he even will say like, look, when we're really looking for different things to make happen in this music business, I like to go to Detroit, get some talent, and then we can go on the road. So behind the scenes when we're thinking about how the sound is sculpted is you talked about Butch Small. So Butch Small, who led World One Records, is DJ Los's father. But he also played on the Dramatics records, the Parliament Funkadelic records, uh, Roger and Zapp's records. Uh, and 
one of the things that, uh, as Dr. Dre was putting together what the death row sound would be, he was working with T-Money Green. T-Money Green is a bass player that has lived between L.A. and Detroit for years. So he was like, all right, we're going to get nothing but Detroit cats to sculpt and build this sound. So that's one way that I think it goes. Now, that's more like the, just the, the like how you make it and make the ear for it. Now, when we think about the sound even today, what, what Helleva has done, because I would say Helleva's influence on street rap in Detroit is what like the boom bap rap, I guess, as people would say, or backpack rap, or like, I like to say it's like soulful hip hop of what Dilla has done. And it definitely plays when we think about like how the drums are picked out, how they're selected, the timing of the beat, and the buildup of the beat. Like Helleva's influence on where sound is today and like I said it, you know, all the time, everything Meek Mill does, whether, uh, I don't know if he'll like just come out and point blank say like, yeah, I listen to a lot of Detroit rappers, is styled like Detroit street rap. And that's why in Detroit, a lot of people just will always listen to Meek Mill. Even with his new album, like his flow. So you have to have drums that play off of the rapper like in the timing as they say like you know you've seen the memes like the detroit rapper is running is rapping past the beat if he's the street rapper but it's more so like what what sterling said it's like life is hitting fast i'm gonna come at you this fast this is what we were we were based on because i'm following the pattern of the drum and i'm using my voice as another percussive instrument inside the track and the percussion that i want you to be following in this fast lifestyle I have is gonna be just as fast, if not faster than the beat itself, because that's how fast the life that I'm living. So when people think about payroll, which right now people look at payroll like he's an OG from Doughboy Cash Out, and cats look up to payroll as an OG, anybody under his, you know, under his wing and everything he's doing, like the Sada Baby of today, same same flow, the same style. And I think the drums have a whole lot to do with it just in the style of the way that the drums and the percussion are made. So Metro booming, as they say, like, you know, uh, a lot of times it's, it's almost become a, a niche word, a trigger word. They'll say, this is trap. This is trap sound. This is trap music. This is where things are going in the trap, right? The sounds that you hear from them, I really think a lot of them may not give hell of a credit. They may not say it, but a lot of it does have that feel of the Detroit appeal. Hell of a did uh, first day out for T Grizzly, a bunch of T Grizzly stuff, a bunch of a bunch of stuff for Detroit artists. So uh, yeah. DJ Hell of a. And uh, to that too. So uh, influence. So I'll start with 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 Dilla first. Okay. So like you said, Dilla produced for. Tribe Called Quest, Busta Rhymes, Erica Badu, D'Angelo, um, Janet Jackson, Janet Jackson, Common. Common. Now, the the Common thing is interesting because, so I was real close to YG, who was real close to Dilla. A lot of those songs that was on Common's like Water for Chocolate album, that shit was, that shit was Slum Village songs. And I remember hearing the album, I was like, wait a minute. Because <laughs> if you listen to a few of the songs, you can still hear yeah. Slum's ad-libs in the background, yeah. right? Um, Find a Way by uh, 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 Tribe Called Quest. Quest. That was a Slum Village song, <laughs> right? So also, 
Roots Things Fall Apart album, they replayed a bunch of Dilla beats to make that album. That album kind of led to the sound that would become Neo Soul. So in a lot of ways, the sound that people began to call Neo Soul was what Dilla did. Because he was the foundation of, of all of that. And then shout out, and then you can talk about this too, as you mm -hmm. talk about the combinations and the relationships, but right. Dilla's relationship to Amp Fittler, one of our big homies. Yeah, so uh, Amp, yeah. So the person that connected uh, Jay, Jay Dilla with A Tribe Called Quest was a person named Amp Fittler. Amp Fittler played keys for Parliament Funkadelic, right? And he was on tour with A Tribe Called Quest, and he's the one that handed... Jay Dilla's tape to Q-Tip. So it's interesting because somebody from Parliament Funkadelic is a person that showed Jay Dilla how to use the beat machine, right? So um, also, I'll say this. Um, anybody uh, heard of a guy named Drake in here? <laughs> so, so Drake, I'll say this. Drake, he'll say it himself, was heavily influenced by Slum Village, which was Jay Dilla's group. Um, around the time that Jay Dilla was kind of like phasing himself out of the group, he was also kind of changing his sound. So the first Slum album that he didn't primarily produce um, had a few of his tracks that had a completely different sonic direction and where it was more minimal and it was more electro, right? And this is the album that they brought a guy named Elzai into the group. Elzai has always been known to rap a little bit more densely than the slum and very complicated in terms of his his patterns and his, his schemes, right? He was very influenced by Nas. But Elzai comes into the group with a completely different approach as he's rapping over these more minimal, very kind of like electro-esque kind of beats. I really feel like this was the foundation for like the template that well, 40, 40 did, yeah. 40 did with, with Drake. So if you listen to like a lot, especially like the earlier Drake stuff, like he shouts from, out Slum Village, yeah, and Little Brother, like yeah. he was highly yeah. so far gone, and, yeah. and um, uh, what's the second album that Drake put out? Uh, can't think of the name. Nah, I can't. Either. Take take care. Take care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I think. But if you listen to it, his his flow is, you could tell, very influenced by L's eyes. Mm -hmm. Where he doesn't start the he doesn't start the line on the one he starts on the half beat after the one, but about it right over these very open beats where it's like it's missing a kick and so the the beat would be like instead of like doom cat cat it'll be like doom. Right? And and it's just open, right? So in a lot of ways, slum influence a lot of the sound that, that Drake and Forty came to make that then influence like <laughs> everybody now. <laughs> Everything else that's on yeah. the radio, right? Mm -hmm. So like suddenly, like you you'll see like Detroit in, in everything in one way or another. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um Kind of talking about the sound. It did, so there's a wide spectrum of music that comes from Detroit, obviously. Um, there's Motown. It's, mm -hmm. it's been called Detroit Rock City for its rock music. There's obviously techno, which started in Detroit. Um, just from your, your 
background, what do y'all think is kind of, how does all of that play into what we hear um, in Detroit hip hop music? Like you kind of touched, touched on it with Dilla. Like Dilla sampled everything, right? But I think the thing that, that I, I thought, this is why Dilla is my favorite artist, musician, probably besides Outkast of all time, is because he could take um, uh, this random French jazz album, but make it funky. Like, it's hard to def define funk. Like, in soul, it's like you could say, oh, he's soulful, but they're not really soulful. Yeah. It's hard to define what it is, but Dilla was able to find the right. soul right. In, in everything. Because funk is so much more about a feel than a sound. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so to, to what you were asking, um, Damn, what the hell was you asking? I forgot that question. Oh, so <laughs> the spectrum of music that comes from Detroit, how has that kind of influenced the hip-hop scene in particular? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the thing about it, I mean, we've, we've always, we've also had like a rich history in jazz. Like we've had a rich history in gospel music. We've had a rich history with everything. And one thing about it is that the, the city has always been so much, um, I really feel like the, the backbone of the city of Detroit has always been music, right? At the same time, the reason that we were able to be or evolve into such great musicians is because we kind of had like a very strong black middle class that could afford instruments for a lot of years, right? Which led to a lot of players being everywhere, right? And, and so, the, the culture of the city has always kind of revolved around music, I think, because of that. Like, it's so crazy. Like, no matter where I go, I could be in a soup kitchen or I could be, like, talking to somebody on the street. Like, everybody's had this story. Like, you be talking to somebody like, yeah, I played keys for Ohio players from 72 to 74 until so-and-so yeah, me real. the group. Or, it's real. Yeah. You know, and it's like, whoa. Like, you know, and it'll be like a homeless person. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I used to play. It's like, whoa, shit, right? And it's, it's everywhere. And I, I think that for us, we always had expansive sensibilities. I, 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 one person, too, I think is very important to mention in this is uh, Electrify Mojo, who, mm -hmm. like, I think late 70s, early 80s, he really cultivated the sensibilities of Detroiters in w which he would play then. And wait, you got to give the context of who Mojo was. Yeah, so Electrify Mojo is, is, is a radio DJ, disc jockey in the city of Detroit that had a, a show called the Midnight Funk Association from like basically like the mid-70s to like the early 80s. And it was like cultural in Detroit. Like everybody listened to Mojo, like everybody. It's one of them things where like he would tell people to like flick your lights on in your house and you look outside and everybody flicking their lights. So he'd be like, everybody honk your, <laughs> honk your horn at the same time. And you, you can hear everybody outside like, because eh, everybody's listening to it, right? And one thing that he did, like he introduced, basically he was the guy to introduce Prince to the world because nobody was playing Prince at the time. He was the first person that broke Prince and Detroit was like the first place that got on Prince. Um, he would play like Parliament Funkadelic, then he would play like Depeche Mode or he would play like. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was, a, he, he was in an era of radio DJs that I don't think will ever be empowered where they can play their own music, meaning, Okay, if you were listening to Mojo and it was raining that day, he would play nothing but songs with rain. He would play Mozart, and then he would play Public Enemy. Like, 
it just based on like a feel and he really would curate a, a, a sound like a DJ should. Today I think, you know, I think, I know. If you listen to the radio, the radio is playing the same song playlist that uh, was given to them from our heart radio or whatever. And really, some, a lot of times you go to a party, you'll hear the same song over you ever, and over. You ever get into a car and, and over again and, and hear a song, and then like you driving somewhere, and then before you get there, you hear the song again. It's like damn. <laughs> Like I just heard this. Song. You didn't change the channel. You didn't, you didn't change, change the station. Yeah, it was yeah. on the same and station. Mo- Mojo was not that type of DJ. And then even some of like when we think about like Mojo gets a lot of credit, but it was a lot of other great hip hop DJs. That oh, Jeff Mills, yeah, the, the Wizard was was very important. That would too. break records. That where you know you're not walk like I, I can art. You know I, I can just look at the top 100 and I know I'm gonna hear this song if I walk into the party. You know what I mean? Like probably from now to evermore, you're gonna hear certain songs. It wasn't like that back in the day. Um, just a heads up, everybody. We're gonna open it up for questions in a couple minutes. So if you have a question, uh, we'll get that. Or if you would like to think of a question, take some time. You can think of a question. Uh, about to wrap this up, I just want to chime in and just talk about the role that Detroit has played in my life um, as an artist, as a fan. It's just um, I remember we moved to New York in 1999, and that was so we had we had heard about we had heard Fantastic Volume One from Slum Village, and we had heard about there was a Volume Two coming. There was this Volume Two. It was like okay, and the songs started to leak. Um, leaking songs back then was different than now because the internet wasn't really what it is. Um, I kind of talked about that the last time I was here. Leaking songs means like somebody dubbed it. Uh, somebody like somebody in Slum had to play it for somebody who they let get a copy of it, who they let get a copy of it, who they let somebody else get a copy of it, and then it kind of leaked and got out into people's hands. So we were familiar with Slum Village's Volume 2 uh, and the songs on it for a minute, but when it got its official release, it was like a, a holiday for us. And we were in New York at the time when it came out, and listening to it out there, it was like kind of like help influence us to like, okay, like we're, we moved to New York thinking we was going to take over the New York rap game. Like, you know, uh, Raucous was popping. I talked about this last time with Most Def and Quali and all those guys. It'll be the, like the outsiders. Yeah, yeah. So, but then we realized like that's, that's not us. Like we're from Michigan. Um, so Slum Village is fantastic. Volume 2 played a huge role in influencing the sound of my group, Athletic Mike League. Uh, especially the album Sweats and Kicks, um, our first like official release that got us like attention um, across the world. And Slum Village is fantastic volume two. And Comments Like Water for Chocolate also came out in that time span where we were in New York. And it was just like, oh, this is this is this is more like us. You know what I'm saying? We weren't like we weren't really trying to be like the super battle cats and like super aggressive and in your face, like, oh yeah, I'll slice you and die. You know, we was more like party vibe, like chill, like, you know what I'm saying, have a good time, you know, what you want to do this weekend, you know. So that's that's the vibe that we got that helped influence our sound, uh, which also helped us end up being signed to the same label that signed Slum Village, Barack Records, um, for our second album, Jungle Jim Jungle, which Sterling actually did the cover art for. So if you ever look up Athletic Mike League, Jungle Jim Jungle, you see the cover art on it. This man here designed it. Um, 
So yeah, it was just a huge influence on me. And and now even when we when I travel the world, um, you know, I I say I'm from Ann Arbor. I never say I'm from Detroit. But a lot of people just don't know what Ann Arbor is. They were like, Oh, Detroit, Detroit. I'm like, you know, just for simplicity, I'm like, Yeah, yeah, Detroit. But Detroit, you know, people thinking or associating me with Detroit has really garnered me so much more respect than I would have ever gotten just for the history of Detroit and the reputation of Detroit. So if I travel somewhere and, you know, I'm like, I'm from Ann Arbor. Every interview, I'm like, I'm from Ann Arbor. But if you see, like, a Jamal Buffer poster in, like, Germany, nine times out of ten, it's going to say Detroit, USA. You know what I'm saying? Because that's just the the respect and the love that Detroit has, has garnered y'all, over y'all also put in the work to be able to carry that, too, though. Like I think so. Y'all put in work here, you know. Like, y'all are on it. that short list of there's certain short list of artists that weren't from Detroit that were basically honorary Detroiters like Breed. Yeah. I mean like BG from from Cash Money. Even <laughs> like even Jeezy. Jeezy. Even Eminem. You know, Eminem's not from Detroit. Detroit proper, yeah. You know, Kid Rock isn't from Detroit, but anytime they're anywhere, they're from Detroit. Even Royce Five Nine. You know what I'm saying? So like the actual city limits. And depending upon where the person is, they may like try to hold that over an artist's head, but it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Barry Sanders wasn't from Detroit, but as far as I'm concerned, he was Detroit. You know what I'm saying? Um, I guess in wrap and wrapping it up and closing before we get to any questions out there, if there's anything y'all wanna add or just throw out there, or if there's any like new artists from Detroit that y'all are loving that you think people should give some attention to should listen to you can throw some names out there if if you have any i'll roll out those <laughs> yeah sterling sterling says listening to a lot of the new stuff way love, hey, so sterling's older than us as he said a couple times here yeah. but he is up on everything <laughs> this is the man that put me up on cider baby a couple years ago he was like, like yo star, this, this is cat you you need to hear he's going to be the next superstar i'm like yeah. what okay so he he, yeah. he played me some cider baby and i was like wow this guy this guy is entertaining he's going to be a superstar and he's on his path to becoming a superstar right yeah, now yeah absolutely. this is years a couple years ago yeah man uh, so I'm like I'm like one of them old dudes is like I love the young cats like I I'm not like man I, y'all music y'all so uh, it's terrible and got on them tight ass jeans and uh. <laughs> I'm not one of them dudes like I love y'all because somebody had to break up the monotony you know what I'm saying like me and Steve were talking about that Hilarious. too like sometimes people get in that they get in that pocket and they just stay in the same pocket forever you know so I'm glad that y'all are are thinking different so some young guys okay like so. I think th- this is unprecedented too in terms of Detroit because still like I think in that day and, and like Kari can t- attest to this, you can too. Back in the day it was like to get on when everybody's still trying to get a record deal, it was almost like you had to assimilate to some degree to sensibilities on the west, east coast or west coast or down south to, to get on, right? So it's like a lot of times D- Detroit artists felt like they had to like sounds like someone from over here or over there and then since the internet where it could be like i can be the man in the city this is the first time where you got artists straight up like out detroiting each other on songs (laughs) like where they don't care about the sensibilities of anywhere else and it's all about city culture city lingo city everything and so i've never seen this level of unity like all these guys working together um, so I just named some people like I'm 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 really proud of. So 
of course, like payroll is like the, uh, an OG now. Yeah, and then uh, even the, the cash out and even the the photo that they all did together. Yeah, like, they got I a mean, song together. Bending, so bending the piece yeah, with they payroll. They were beefing for a long time. Peasy, yeah, Peasy, Icewear Vezo. So so payroll yeah. them. They they from the west side. Team East side obviously is from the east side. Um, they also cool with green guys and had some tension over the years. But they, they came together, and T kind of brought them together, Payroll and Peasy on the song. So Payroll and Peasy are like, I mean, it's it's kind of like Smokey Robinson and Marvin, like, to the to these young dudes. Yeah. Like, it's, it's serious yeah. business, you know. So, like, uh, Payroll and Peasy are very important to, like, this, 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 the beginning of this newer way that we have now. Um, I'll also say, uh, um, Band Gang has obviously done a lot. I think Lonnie is really dope. Um, um, Pay Will is really dope. Um, and you got people like that's a little bit different and kind of doing their own thing somewhat like Babyface Ray. Um, uh, it's a dude named Baby Mark that I think is really dope. On the other side of things too, you got people like Travis Chandler, uh, Nolan the Ninja. Um, the Loopers. Uh, the Loopers. Um, it's also guys, there's a lot of guys that are really dope too that, that sometimes because they caught up in real stuff, they don't put out as much as other people, but I say like uh, Project Pacino is really dope. Um, Danny Always Wins. Um, it's a dude named Rio Grande that's really dope. Um, it's, it's so many people, man, it's like making really, really dope music um, from the city. And uh, yeah, man, it's, 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 this is the first time though like where you starting to see guys all in each other's videos and supporting each other. I think my generation especially, and their generation was too, le a little less so, but my generation was so competitive to where like people didn't want to work together because they didn't want to give nobody an edge. It was like everybody was kind of siloed in their own little cliques, but it's nowadays it's, it's like every, all these young guys, they just want to work together. They're like, we can get it together. And I think that's so dope about these young guys. Uh, Tay B is really dope. Um, it's a it's a bunch it's a bunch of them. Yeah, and I just know Pat cats like more so from the scenes of people that promoters that I still know. So some of the people that I guess that I look at and it's cool to see them still stay grinding. Um, Clear Soul Forces. I remember like as their start out. Uh, I mean, I went to I guess like you know as y'all see with Danny Brown everything Danny's done. If y'all familiar with his music, I mean we he was at Northwestern with me. Um, so let's see, I, and then just a lot of other cats that just like you know hit the stage. Loki is really dope. Bink is dope. Like some of these people, like I'm sure even on campus it may be a scene, because uh, the access to create songs has created so many people that want to be creative, creative themselves. And then I know a lot of the producers, the promoters, like like a lot of the people in Cash Dial's team. I know. So the different things she does, even though I'm not necessarily sonically. Bumping cash dial, but it's good to see. But she can rap know. though. Like yeah, she, she can, can rap for real. Yeah. yeah, she can. She can. Yeah. So like some of the things she's been doing. Um, book. I finally listened to her joint. Mm -hmm. That yeah, is Brown. dope as hell. Yeah. Book Brown. Yeah. Book Brown is like yeah. I was like, yo, this is dope. She yeah. is really dope. Mahogany is really dope. Mm -hmm. Um. And that's that's the other cool thing I think now. Nah, it's like a lot of female MCs. Oh yeah, Molly Brazy and, and Rocky B. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, that are like 
you know, taking the all stage the in, in reality. <laughs> all the 80 different dials. Yeah, yeah. Asian that, dial, cash yeah, exactly. dial, Cuban yeah. dial, 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 yeah, dial, dial, dial. <laughs> <laughs> Hustle bunnies. But, um, you know, so it's, it, it's open. And it's good to see people being creative. Uh, I As much as I'm hip-hop now, because I perform with a live band, People, I've met a lot of people in other scenes too. So like, it's even like uh, the like the mesh between what hip hop is because I feel that hip hop as a genre itself has influenced all music. You know, whether that be country, whether that be rock, whether that be blues, soul. So it's like meshes even between that where a lot of the jazz artists that you know Sterling and I know, and it's funny because like they've oh yeah they've, video seven video seven. Amazing yeah. Group. Yeah, yeah. So like all of those guys, like a lot of those video seven guys, like some of their first shows were like shows I would just play them and then they'd be players for me. And then you see them grow up and they're touring the world and doing different things. And it's like, damn, man, that dude used to play the keys for me. Some of them went through the music program here at U of M. Uh, some of them learned at Wayne State. Some of them self-taught. Some of them out of DSA. So it's a lot of... Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what will be created in years to come. This is a cat named Swaino I just came up on. You you familiar with Swaino? Yeah, yeah Swaino is super Swaino, dope. You got a song with Bodie, actually. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. yeah. Swaino. Swaino. Yeah, yeah. He's dope. He from either, like, southwest of yeah. Down River. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. somewhere west. Might be Wyandotte or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Any question? Oh, Cash I, Kid too. Cash Kid is. is and I'm gonna yeah, shout Cash out. Kid I'm gonna shout out it's, some some yeah. uh some young dope seven three four artists Ann Arbor Ypsilanti area. My homie Obi Yoha, uh, Geronimus Brothers. My homie Dag. Um, it's a bunch of dope artists here too. Uh, schematic uh, rappers and producers. Uh, I just want to shout them out. All right. Uh, questions. Anybody got questions? Um, do we, you want to take the cordless? We got to use that mic so that I can get oh, it okay. right in the board. Okay. So they, if they have a question, do they have to come up here? Yeah, they got to come up All here. All right. If you have a question, come towards the mic. I know, which which put more anxiety on the question and shit. If it reaches. And yeah. then while, it, yeah, I don't know how far it'll go. But. Um, so I heard you guys talk about the influence between the Bay Area and Detroit and like uh, how they both influence each other. Today it's like a big debate on whether. Bay Area rappers steal from Detroit artists <laughs> or Detroit yeah. artists steal from Bay Area artists. So yeah. could you guys clarify who really like started that type of sound? <laughs> I, I'll, take, I'll take that. In reality, this same discussion was going on in the funk era too. But Detroit and Oakland are oh, they're very similar they're in feel. I don't know if anybody out here ever been to Oakland. So when we say Bay, I think Oakland way more than San Francisco. Because some whole other shit is going on in San Francisco right now. Which I guess some whole other shit is going on in Detroit right now. But um, it's it's basically the same feel. It's the same flavor. It's, it's a lot of people from the South that went to a place so that they could get a job. It's an industrial blue-collar town. And it's still like a lot of soul food, a lot of those sensibilities, a lot of the hustles, uh, the flash, the flair, the nightlife scene. So I would go as far as to say that it, they're... they're they're yeah. one and one. So, like, they grew up with, like, Too Short and E-40 looking at them. Mozzie Ski's personality and persona to somebody like me from Detroit's Most Wanted and Dice's persona and personality is just as overwhelming as both of those guys. You know what I'm saying? Even with 
Too Short picking Kid Rock to go open up as the first artist when Too Short went on his national tour. And on tour with, and the reason he picked Kid Rock was because uh, he's mentioned in the untold story of Detroit Hip Hop, my man, the black man, Danny, and his personality. Like, it's always been one and one. And that goes back to even Tower of Power with the funk. And those guys, yeah. it's all mixed in one. Sly and the Family Stone, George you know Clinton, Parliament, the, Funkadelic. It's always kind of it's it's been you know. it's been a back and forth. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. No, go. It's it's always been a back and forth conversation. It's like we do something, they kind of like add their thing on it, they give it back. We kind of add our little thing. It's almost like in science fiction, like in superhero movies and stuff where you have like the alternate universe. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like the same thing and like but it's two different universe, right? It's that same sort of thing. It's like they be like, y'all in the meme. We be like, what up, though? You know what I'm saying? It's like, they doing like this. <laughs> we doing like this. You know, like, so I think part of it, too, was just the, the sensibilities that emerged from places of, of high concentration of black people that migrated from the South to have a particular set of consciousness being around and affirmation being around black people that, that develop in particular ways. And I, I think that, like, our sense, because of that, because of the conditions are so similar in some ways, or what was, is changing a little bit, but um, I think that we, we, we relate and understand each other a lot to where we get a lot from each other, you know, so it goes back and forth. And then yeah. even the consciousness of like the Black Panther Party being there and then like the Republic of New Africa being here, so, and then you have all those mega churches out there, the mega churches here, and then you have a strong street life element there and a strong street life element here, like it's so similar if it were any city as much as Chicago is kind of like sort of Detroit-ish, if it ever were a city where I think that you could go from Detroit and go to and pick up whatever you were doing here, it would be Oakland. But tell them, but still tell them the funk started here though. So, <laughs> and, and Sly Stone would probably feel differently about that whole discussion. <laughs> Another question. So you guys talked about how techno started in Detroit and the influence it's had on its early rap. But one thing that I've noticed are the people I know who listen a lot to, like the street Detroit rap, Doughboys, Band Gang, GT and PZ, mm. aren't really listening to like the Danny Brown and Z Loopers kind of guys. <laughs> Have yeah. you noticed that disconnect? And do you think techno would ever come back into the more street rap of Detroit? I, I really don't think that the, the techno has left the, the street rap stuff. I think it's, it's two different perspectives, though. I, I think, like, if you listen to, like, a lot of the, like, if you listen to GT or uh, PZ or Bang Gang or any of these guys, if you listen to their beats, it's, it's, it's several things is happening damn near all of them. It's the bass line, right? Right? It's the, it's the uh, arpeggio, right? Right, right. That's all. That's that's not that different than Juan Atkins stuff if you really listen to it. You know what I'm saying? Just slow down a tiny bit. Right, right, right. But I think though, like Danny and the Loopers and those guys, I think though, like their sensibilities and their approach to rapping is a little bit. I think different for the sensibilities of a lot of neighborhood guys. It's like it's too much, eh, too much high register. Eh, eh, you know, I mean, I think they're both and then, very dope. But and then you know, no one Brown. You know what I'm saying? That's my dude. Like he was when he was in Reservoir Dogs. The music was that. 
You know what I mean? And he chose a different path as he's like, okay, this can open doors differently. And it's just like they they approach it differently. You know, like when you go in the studio with hell of a a payroll or peasy, like what they're looking at is a lot different than going to the studio with Brown. Going to the studio with Brown and Dopehead, a lot of what they do, let's see, I don't don't even know. What's the cleaned up way of saying this? I don't even know. Okay, what's... Okay, because I don't want to dis- besmirch the character of my homies. But they're intentionally thinking to themselves, their fan base is on a college campus, want to try designer drugs, and wants to probably have experimental sex, right? And they want, That's what they're thinking. You can say white. And, and you those can say experiences white. that they wanted too. You, you can say yes. white. So it's like you can say white. No, 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 guys. but it's even the black folks too. You know what I'm saying? The neighborhood guys ain't really trying to go nah, that far. What like, the neighborhood guy is thinking is, I want my hood to love this shit. I want gangsters to respect me. And I want um, I want to walk into the strip club and my favorite stripper to walk up to me and be like, I'm going to do a dance to your song. So that's like, it's like a, they're going for different goals. You know what I'm saying? But I guarantee you, if Sada... And Sheefy McFly, which I could see that happening, because that's my homie in that world, you know what I'm saying? Were to do a mashup album. I want Danny inside I want Danny inside to do at least a song. It, I, 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 I see that, I need that to happen. I see that happening most definitely. All right, we got one room for one more question, then we gotta wrap up. All right, so this is going off what you guys were talking about with like the, under- the shirt, man. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um going off what you guys were talking about with underground. Um so not just Detroit specifically, but like all hip hop of today. Um, I've heard a lot of people talking about that they're worried that hip hop's gonna go back to how it was in the early 2000s where the mainstream's over here and like the underground's like way the fuck over here. Do you guys see that happening today or not necessarily? And do Wait, you think- What's happening right now though, I'm trying to- Well, I mean, so I can't really say an example specifically, but they're talking about how like in the early 2000s, how like with the bling era and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. the underground was really trying to like push it forward and get more experimental and stuff like that but like um that was like an anomaly like in the mainstream it wasn't happening too much and they're seeing a similar shift like that happening today do you guys see that or i'll throw a quick little answer to that i don't think that'll happen because because of the internet honestly i think the internet has merged so many worlds so many like it's kind of erased whatever divide there was between so-called mainstream and so-called underground. I think the internet has kind of alleviated that. So now, if you are underground and experimental, if you put a song on SoundCloud, it can get 10 million views and you you popping, you know? So it's like it's like the internet has kind of made it so there is no divide. I don't think it'll ever be, I, I know what you're talking about, because yeah. I remember I was a part of it. I was like, oh, I'm, a, I'm wearing my backpack and I don't listen to you, you know. Um, and then, and, you know. No, he was. I was <laughs> when I was a teenager. Yeah, back, yeah, when I was listening to the Ti, like damn. When I was a teenager, then I grew up and I realized, like, yo, this is this is dope. Like, I can like Juvenile. Like, Juvenile, Four Hundred Degrees is one of my favorite albums of all time. It's like incredible. So I I matured and realized you can like a bunch of different types of rap as long as it's dope. Yeah. And then like everybody now, I think is like you can you can find your audience now. You know what I'm saying? So. It's like somebody can jump off the porch and there's somebody in a completely different continent listening to their music now, which that wasn't the case before, you know what I mean? So, like, and then there's people that I feel like, you know, like if you, Wiz Khalifa isn't on the radio all day, but to me, like, Wiz Khalifa's big as anybody, like, he, 
he can tour for the rest of his life. But right? I, I, w- I would go as far as, like, the intentionality, too, of, like, what, what Buff said. Like, even me, like, when people put a label, like, it's like, man, you're like a conscious rapper that rap about a lot of pro-black stuff. And it's like, no, I'm rapping about what I'm interested in. So it's way more the intentionality of the artist. <laughs> so if the artist, if the artist, I'm going to wrap it up right now. If the artist really raps what's in their heart, it'll always be dope. But if the artist goes in trying to make a hit, it's probably going to be whack as hell. Uh, DetroitIsDifferent.com 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 uh, Jamal Bufford, all social media The Black Opera, all social media So I ain't on social media? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can find me through this dude Or just show up in front of my place And I'll let you in <laughs> Thank y'all yeah. Peace Stay up on the real culture of Detroit by tuning in to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network Weekly. Music, art, business, comedy, and never-before-told stories from the people of Detroit.